Fatigue may well be one of the most troublesome symptoms of cancer or of the side effects of cancer treatment with the biggest impact on patients' quality of life. But it's not easy to identify or diagnose. Well now, a group in London has published details in the JCO of an investigation of questionnaires to improve screening for cancer-related fatigue syndrome, or CRFS. I went along to St George's Hospital in London to meet up with the lead investigator, Paddy Stone, and I began by asking him why they decided to look at questionnaires. Cancer-related fatigue is a very, very common problem, but one of the difficulties has been defining exactly what people mean by cancer-related fatigue. and. You know, if you simply ask people, have you felt fatigued, you might get an answer, yes. And you might get a prevalence figure of over 90% of cancer patients saying that they've experienced some degree of fatigue in the last month. And that's all well and good. But uh, to advance the field of research into cancer-related fatigue, it's important to uh, be clear about what you consider to be a significant level of fatigue. And a great step forward in this regard, I believe, was the uh, proposed diagnostic criteria for a, a, a syndrome of cancer-related fatigue put forward by David Seller and colleagues. Could you remind me exactly what was that criterion then, or what were the criteria? Well, the uh, criteria uh, fall into four broad categories. The first uh, category is that the patient self-evidently should be experiencing uh, severe fatigue on most days or every day uh, for two weeks in the preceding month. Uh, the second criterion is that they should have uh, at least five other, five other fatigue-related symptoms from a selection of, a, I think it's 10 or 11 uh, other symptoms. Uh, the third criteria is that uh, there should be evidence from the history or clinical examination that the patient's had uh, uh, cancer or cancer treatment. And finally, there should be uh, no evidence of a comorbid psychiatric condition uh, which may explain the fatigue. Now, you can establish the presence or absence of these different criteria by having a very good interview, and there are standard interviews, aren't there? Indeed. So the uh, diagnostic criteria of cancer-related fatigue syndrome, in fact, comes with a diagnostic interview. And the diagnostic interview itself doesn't take very long uh, to complete but one of the catches with it is this final criterion about excluding patients with psychiatric diagnoses which may or may not be contributing to the fatigue. Uh, and that's really where we thought it might be interesting just to see if some uh, patient-completed screening questionnaires might reduce the need for undergoing full diagnostic interviews for patients. So in other words, you might have to add a psychiatric interview in order to exclude the psychiatric origin of the fatigue. Indeed, really. I think if, if you want to strictly apply the um, fatigue criteria, you would need to do a, psych a full psychiatric evaluation, and that can be quite time-consuming, um, probably about 40 minutes to an hour uh, in addition to the uh, diagnostic fatigue interview, which may only take five or ten minutes. There have been a number of questionnaires developed. You chose two of them. Which were they and why did you choose these? Well, we chose the uh, the FACT F, which is a 13-item uh, fatigue questionnaire, uh, part of the functional assessment of cancer therapy uh, modular system. And really, we chose the FACT because that's been by far and away the most widely used and well-validated fatigue uh, questionnaire. Uh, the 
uh, Chalda fatigue scale or the bidimensional fatigue scale we've chosen because uh, it's been very widely used in the chronic fatigue syndrome literature. So uh, lots of epidemiological research has used this other scale, uh, but outside of the re uh, realm of cancer research. So you carefully constructed your study. What exactly did you do? We studied 200 women with uh, breast cancer who'd completed treatment between three months and two years previously, who were disease-free at the time of the interviews. Uh, we got them to complete uh, these uh, questionnaires and also some question screening questionnaires for psychological uh, distress, uh, which we haven't reported in this paper. And then we uh, conducted uh, the diagnostic interview for cancer-related fatigue and the structured clinical interview for DSM-4, which is a structured psychiatric interview. And we use those interviews as our gold standard measure of uh, whether the patient had a, was a case or could be considered to be a case of cancer-related fatigue. And you also gave the same patients questionnaires? Yes, and so those, question, uh, those patients completed the, uh, the two fatigue questionnaires, uh, which we used to uh, identify whether they were useful for screening, two psychiatric questionnaires, uh, again, which we evaluated in a separate paper for their utility for screening, and uh, broader quality of life questionnaires, such as the uh, EORTC quality of life questionnaire, um, to evaluate uh, their general quality of life. And what did you find? Well, we found that the uh, FACTF and the uh, BFS, so both fatigue questionnaires, really performed, uh, I would say, adequately as uh, screening instruments. In particular, they were good at identifying those patients who would not be likely to be cases of cancer-related fatigue. So having a low score uh, below the threshold which we identified in the paper, having a low score on these questionnaires indicated that the individual was unlikely to be a case of fatigue. So you could use these for screening, but what about diagnosis? Well, to, to, uh, to formally make a diagnosis, it's still necessary to undergo both interviews. So what the screening questionnaires do uh, in, the, in a research context is, is reduce the uh, number of such interviews which you would need to do and thereby make quite a considerable saving in time and resources. So this is something that you have established by conducting your study? Indeed. We've, we've shown it in this study. Of course, any, any such finding really should be replicated in a, in a different sample, uh, preferably by a different group. Uh, but certainly the results from our study uh, do support the use of these screening instruments as having some uh, utility. Paddy Stone at the Department of Palliative Medicine in St George's Hospital, University of London. One of America's leading investigators in cancer-related fatigue and originator of the criteria defining it is David Seller at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. So I phoned to ask him what he made of this new publication from London about questionnaires compared with interviews. I think the first thing I would take from this paper is uh, that there is actually quite a bit of convergence of uh, self-report on questionnaires and an interview-generated diagnosis. So, um, and, I, and I look uh, not just at uh, positive predictive value and negative predictive value and sensitivity specificity, um, but also uh, simply at the area under the curve, uh, which is the, in the leftmost part of uh, figures one and two from the paper. And the area under the curve is very close to 0.8, which is 
to, to my way of thinking, uh, usually a signal that there's enough co- commonality in the in the two methodologies that is asking people questions on a piece of paper, quite simple to do, versus having a person do a structured interview and make a clinical diagnosis, which takes more time and energy and, and training. So um, perhaps I saw the glasses half full um, as opposed to half empty. At the end of the day, what really is important is improving the quality of life for many of these patients, uh, many of whom are cured, some of them who have a very long time to live if they're not cured. What do you think the contribution of this paper has made towards that aim? Well, at the very least, it helps to elevate the perspective of the patient, whether by self-report or by interview, uh, to a level of importance that says, hey, the, uh, people are able to tell us how they feel and how they're getting on, and uh, we ought to listen to that so that we can develop intervention programs, short-term and long-term, that help them to uh, have fewer symptoms and function more productively uh, for that period of time that they have to live. And as you say, for many people, that's quite a long time. And the advice that you would pass on at this point? Uh, The advice is to come up with a system of monitoring how people are doing. Uh, From my perspective, um, you know, again, getting back to that, you know, primary take-home message, you could pick any one of these three approaches, either one of the self-report instruments or the interview. Um, You could apply it systematically in your practice. You could get to know the local, if you will, thresholds that are useful triggers for uh, reviewing or changing intervention strategies. But in fact, there are a lot of interventions that can be done, both uh, pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic, to treat the fatigue or to prevent it, um, or at least to manage it um, when it comes. Uh, and, and, and this gives people um, uh, more ability to function, but also a more ability to tolerate the, uh, uh, this, this particular adverse effect of the, not just the cancer, but of the cancer treatment itself. And I can't resist asking you, just what are your favorite interventions that you, you'd like to mention briefly? Because uh, obviously the more tricks doctors have, the better. Yeah. Well, uh, on the pharmacology side, we, we haven't had terribly much luck um, and haven't really moved, moved beyond the, uh, the usefulness of psychostimulants that do help um, people in the short run. The good, the good news there is that when a psychostimulant is going to help someone, um, it, and, and this is something like methylphenidate, for example, and there are newer analogs to that. Um, when, when it's going to help someone, it's, it's going to do it quickly in a matter of days. Um, so you can get quick relief um, in some patients. Another uh, one of uh, my favorites, really, is exercise and, and tailoring that exercise um, to where the patient is in terms of their, their capability. But all of us, if we can get exercise, whether it's aerobic or anaerobic, uh, do tend to feel better and have more energy after exercising. Now, with some patients who are very debilitated, it's difficult um, to get them motivated or even enabled to do it. But we always um, recommend trying. The third thing I would point to is sleep. Um, it's really a forgotten area or a neglected area, I should say, in, in, in oncology in, in general. Um, but if we can help people with good sleep hygiene, that is helping them to manage you know, uh, what they do prior to bedtime so they're going to bed at a good hour, getting a good night's sleep, um, uh, it, that works wonders for having a, a restful, energetic uh, morning and, and follow-on day. David Seller, Chair of the Department of Medical Social Sciences at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Evanston, Illinois.
And that's all from this edition of Oncology Times Broadcast News, brought to you by the Audio Journal of Oncology. I'll be back again soon with more, so do listen out. Until next time, from me, Peter Goodwin, goodbye.